0: It is Tuesday. It is. We got <laughs> Tuesday. some Tuesday energy today. <laughs> Woo. Spicy, Tuesday. Spicy Tuesday. Spicy Tuesday. What are we yeah, talking we about it. today? Is there anything on the back? We dog? have a long talk about uh, the Labor Department's new proposed test for gig economy workers. It sounds yeah. so. You You think that like labor policy is not that interesting, but
1: it turns out it relates it to is. startups in a big way, right? And it, we 100% yes. 100% does all of these startup labor laws are critically important, whether you're hiring a freelance designer, or your company is based on gig workers. And it's a big issue for America. I and mean, we we chop it up for longer than I expected to get a little bit of spice in there. I'll be honest, medium
0: spice, just, if you want to understand what we're saying, listen to all the words, everybody, I'm just gonna tell you that up front, listen to all the words, and then minus your assumptions. And then we will talk about robots, eventually, we will get to robots, we're going to talk about bear robotics, a startup building self driving food, running robots, we're going to talk
1: about when robots can work, and when they try too hard. Yes. And finally, we'll do some M&A talk. It looks like the instant delivery space, which Molly has been a bit skeptical about, and I, I don't disagree with her. Uh, there's some consolidation coming. Gidear is looking to acquire gorillas. So consolidation is what we see in a down market. It's healthy, it's painful, and it's upon us. And should you want to understand J. Cal's
0: worldview, seriously, yes, it, it comes from his his life. And we just get a great 1980s Brooklyn story from Jason. It's just another peak behind the curtain. It's just another layer of the onion. Just stay tuned for that.
1: It's going to be yes, great. It's show. it's, it's- Mm-hmm. Paradoxically, about gig workers, just a different type. Yeah, stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to slash This Week in Startups. Policy Genius. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Options start at just $17 per month for $500,000 of coverage. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. And Revello Looking to affordably scale your product development with global tech talent in US time zones? Hire vetted remote developers in Latin America with Revello. Get 20% off for the first three months at ravello.com/twist. slash twist. All right, everybody. It's Tuesday. Molly is back. How's the speaking gig, Molly? I'm
0: back. It was amazing. I get a little nervous. Keynotes. I do a lot of panels, do oh, a lot yes, of moderating. Easy. I don't easy. do a ton of keynotes. So I was a little mm. like, eh. so I really prepared. And I just got some feedback that the uh, the get, the initial response from the audience is that I was the best keynote speaker they've ever had.
1: Oh wow! Well, that's fantastic, man. I'm that's like sure on cloud nine right now. Keylo- keynote achievement unlocked. I am um, going to write up a keynote. Uh, you know, I'm going to be teaching Founder University. By the way, yes. And so I have you guys this all know this by the way. J.
0: Cal is going to be teaching it yeah. himself.
1: Yeah, I decided. You know, sometimes there. like Prof. J. Prof J, J. J. <laughs> if you will. So good <laughs> anyway, um, I just realized we are finding incredible companies yeah. in founder university, and we've invested in 18 of them or something to that effect. And I like to go earlier. And so the inception point where people decide I have an idea has not been the purview of venture capital or funds. It's too much work. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. And Too much work. When I hear too much work, you know what I think? Let's go. (laughs) All right. Great. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It's just like opportunity to me. Well, exactly. It's like, you know, if you look at Y Combinator and Techstars and Launch Accelerator, most funds will dabble in an accelerator. In fact, Sequoia is doing one right now. It's not exactly accelerator. It's a three-week program where they kind of teach their growth philosophy. So it's not even like 16 weeks or 12 weeks, like some of the other ones out there. But every firm at some point says oh we should do that. Mm-hmm. And Sequoias is called Arc by the way. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. I think it's like sort of a PhD program maybe. You know, if we're graduate school and then there's other places that are undergrad. just kind of like, you know, PhD program or professional development kind of program. But anyway, putting that aside, Molly, they they a fund starts an accelerator. And then you know what the fund managers realize? Oh my lord. This is work. Yep. Yep. When you have one company that has 100 customers, and 12 employees, and their accounting is nice and tight, they're serial entrepreneurs. You know what that is for an investor? Easy, easy, right? That's easy. Yeah, rubber stamp. Yeah, you're kind of go to the board meeting, they present everything nice and tight. It's a very fully baked, refined team. It's like, you know, somebody who's been a restaurant tour for 20 years, they come to you with their latest fast casual concept, I'm gonna make a burger joint here's what it's going to be. Uh, and I'm, I'm bringing my chef from, you know, uh, this Michelin starred restaurant to do the menu and then we're going to train people and, and we'll have some supervisors from our other Michelin star places come by every weekend and train the staff. Okay, easy peasy lemon squeezy, no work on the VC's part, especially if you're investing in that founder for the second or third time. Wonderful. Now, you find somebody who's like, I want to start a food truck. And I did a pop up and uh, I couldn't get the People paid 50 bucks to come to my pop up and I couldn't even keep up with the number of people who came I didn't uh, collect, you know, I didn't collect the money in advance. People stiffed me people walked out I service was a disaster. It's kind of like the bear. You see the TV show the Bear, yet? Yeah, 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 yeah. So remember great. in the bear, he's so dealing with like a bunch of raw talent, who nobody's ever believed in. That's kind of my jam. I kind of like that energy. I kind of like it. Yeah. And uh, so, um, we're now like sort of embracing that with founder University. Starts November 14th. It's 500 bucks to go to this. If you come to all 12 weeks, we give you back the 500, which by the mm-hmm. way, has costed me thousands of dollars. <laughs> I just found mm-hmm. out that we have to pick up the, You're like, the we, refund fees. We, oh, yeah. So uh-huh. I'm actually losing money on that. But anyway, but now we're the not. The program, not in the long term because we're doing the work. Precisely, it's an investment. Uh, but anyway, this is the, somebody just wrote a wonderful review and did a YouTube video on this. So founder university is gonna be the big investment for me personally over the next couple of months, because I just want to meet founders earlier. Did you say you're also going to turn it into a keynote? It's a TED talk. Thank you. So I'm um, um, we I, I created this curriculum with our curriculum designer, uh, Charlie, who's amazing, but I'm gonna kind of 2.0 it as we go there. And so I'm gonna do the curriculum. But then I decided it could be like a a freestyle after because when I went to Stanford on Friday an unpaid speaking gig, I took nine pitches. And it was an hour and a half. But then I took an hour and a half of questions and then had a dialogue with the audience. And I was like, wow, this is great. And of the 150 people who packed into a 75 seat room, 100 of them came for burgers and beers afterwards. And then we talked for another two or three hours It was like six hours, I came out at 1130 at night, I was so pumped couldn't sleep till two o'clock had a million ideas. So yeah, that's what I'm gonna do with this uh, founder university. I want to find a classroom where I can actually go teach it in person and let some people come in person too. Amazing. That. Yeah, so anyway, it's got my creative juices flowing. I'm very excited about it. I wish you would, uh, if you're listening to this, apply. Here's what you need, a work ethic, an open mind, and maybe or maybe not an idea. But you got to come to all 12 weeks. If you miss a week, we keep your 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's the death in the family, we'll make an exception or something like that. Or it's a kids rehearsal, you know, obviously I get it. But
0: anyway, fact, I'm very excited to do it. Based on yesterday's uh, speaking gig, I would like to say if you mm. are considering coming to founder mm. University, I yep. have a request for startup, okay, which is hit me data lineage. So the talk I gave yesterday was about the data economy, the kind of precarious state of the data economy. There's a lot more mm. regulation. We now yep. know that uh, targeted, and targeting and retargeting technology and too much information leads directly to disinformation, right? Like helps propagate that. So there's a lot of risk now in the way that people have always done things with respect to data collection. So after, which is like Mm. you said, the best time is always like the Q and a, and then after when everybody's like telling you the real scoop about what they're dealing with, Ah. a lot of these cybersecurity executives are dealing with this question of data lineage like how do you even do an audit that technology doesn't really exist yet and i'm like this is like the most what's another word for
1: lineage uh like to understand custody, or maybe an example
0: right like a, it would be kind of like if you were uh lawyers going to trial and you have mm-hmm. to create a chain of custody of evidence like Got you're it. basically just tracing it so you'd be in the case of a data audit it would be like okay how much data is here uh, what is it? When did we collect it? Where did we put it? How is it mm. all classified? Like, it's literally it. just a freaking card catalog system for the data that an enterprise has, right. which right now, a lot of times is just like a big pile of unstructured data because data door- is really their storage is really cheap. Sounds like it could be a use case for blockchain, but it doesn't have to be yeah, provenance. I mean, it probably don't. It's need a to database put it the- for data.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are databases that are much faster and secure Mm -hmm. and changeable, like, you know, blockchain is for immutable when the public needs to see it, everybody needs to have access to it, It's kind of a different use case. And from a privacy perspective, that's actually not
0: good, because a lot of times if you're doing this data audit, what you want to find out is what you can delete. Because having all this data around forever is just a privacy violation waiting to happen. I mean, a this breach is the key that thing that I think
1: we have to get to as a society, the French, I remember reading this, uh, you know, the f- wonderful group of people very unique in their outlook in life. They were like, Bleh. Why do you need <laughs> to have uh, phone records for more than Bleh. a year? They're mm-hmm. like, Well, uh, sir, yeah, we need to have your phone records for the past 10 years. So if you dispute the bill, you know, we can pull up the phone number or whatever. And they like, why would I dispute the bill? It's three years old. You don't need to dispute this. Three years exactly. old. All. Life is moving don't forward. They, it's a stream. We're not uh, going upstream to see the bill from twenty nineteen. What's the point? So anyway, they don't. Yeah, I got to work on that. They don't work. <laughs> no, I'm like, on. They don't keep. They don't allow the phone right. companies to keep records past a certain point. And they don't. We need should to. just say to Google, we should say any search mm-hmm. that's over a hundred days old, the default should be gone. Yep. Any profile data over a year old, default should be gone, and I should have to opt in. Would you like to keep your data? We currently keep your search history for hundred days. We currently keep this for a year. Would you like to turn them off? Exactly. Those kind of common sense defaults would be a wonderful thing for people to do. And some people, you know, are like, "Why are this this data becomes a liability?" So I think it's a good idea. Like if you were had a way to audit data or just let people know, hey, look, we 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 looked at all your databases we found phone numbers over here. We found mm-hmm. dates of birth over here. We found keywords about health over here. It yeah. could just be like, here are the things that will get you in trouble, right? Exactly. Social security numbers, uh, home addresses. A massive,
0: it is a massive opportunity just, right now because of the way your, the regulations yeah. are changing and all of that. Yep. Yeah, this is a huge opportunity. So founders, I'm
1: talking to you. Hmm. The name and the name of my talk ironically is it's minimum viable data. Minimum viable data is a great idea. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, where does the data reside? I think I really like this idea that on my phone, Apple mm-hmm. knows my preferences. And this relates to our, our discussion about algorithms the other week, um, yeah. which we had one on all in and you and I've had that conversation a couple times here, just if I if my profile on my phone would tell me, hey, on a topic basis, here are the topics we see you going to in the Apple News, Apple Music, and your apps writ large. So Netflix, this thing. So we know you like Queen's Gambit, we see you use the chess app, we have you pinned as like into chess and poker, mm-hmm. and the Knicks and the Warriors, yada, yada, yada. Would you like to delete any of these? And I could say yes, you know, I don't want people to know yeah. I'm into chess as much as I am. It could be another topic, let's say that maybe we you, you know. I'm kind of fronting here that I'm into just chess. Just go with chess. Just go, Let's go with chess. But <laughs> just you know, with you're into hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I got you. I got you. Picking up what so you're, you're really on listening to a lot of Britney Spears <laughs> and liking a lot of Britney Spears. <laughs> there we go. You're spending yeah. a lot of time on Britney Spears posts uh, on Instagram, and you're listening to a blog Britney. I just say, you know what? Britney is like my own personal obsession. Mm-hmm. So I am going to say, not only delete Britney from my algorithm, which is private, and my and my preferences on my phone. I want you to permanently never record my Britney activity. Mm -hmm. This would be something humans are capable of. Yeah, but we're sitting here going, Oh, humans are just not sophisticated enough to do it. It's it's BS. It's BS. And this is this is where empowering consumers is always the right thing to do. I think my operating philosophy when I create my political party, common sense party, whatever I'm gonna call it. Oh, dear. Empowering individuals to have agency and choice is going to be a core tenant of this, because I think it's something that's been lost a bit. and it kind of leads into it certainly story.
0: has in the tech industry 100%. Even all of the privacy moves that Apple's making, like that's lovely. But I don't see Apple giving me the tools that you just described, which is let me edit my
1: own algorithm, if you will. But they do they did screw up the retail business by not letting people retarget people. So they do seem to be Absolutely. I think they're sincere about it.
0: (laughs) Oh, they're 100%. You know, there's there's still this outstanding question is like, is what they're doing with my data better, but Mm. they're very serious about it as a business as and that tells you Apple knows a little something about business and consumers that tells you what's going to happen going forward. Like if you have not disrupted your, your data as usual plan, now's the time.
1: It does seem like Apple uh, is skating to where the puck is going, as Steve Jobs would always say from the Wayne Gretzky quote because they see it as an inevitability that consumers will take control of their privacy. So why not start that process early? And they don't make any money from this stuff. So what's the point? You know, it's, you know, empowering individuals, I think is a big part of what gig work has done. Let's talk about this controversial issue. Smooth everybody. I'm here with my pal, Tom Eschbacher. He is the Senior Sales Manager at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And today, we're going to talk about marketing for startups. And LinkedIn did a great new internal report called Today in Startup Marketing. Welcome to the program, Tom. Thanks, Jason. We all know organic reach, super important. You make great content, you get your likes, you get your shares, you get your comments. But what people don't know is that you can boost organic and it creates a bit of momentum on your site. Can you unpack that for people? Definitely, so organic is just going to go to the audience who's already following you and then a smaller group of members who are connected to any of those audiences. So what we often encourage is keep an eye on your organic engagement metrics and and who are the people and companies and segments that are engaging most frequently with your content and then amplify that reach via our best in class paid advertising targeting. So what that means and what we've seen, especially for seed and series A companies is by boosting successful organic posts with paid, it results in a 13X lift in unique reach. And that's really meaningful insights that can help inform your product and go to marketing strategies and open up new audiences for you. You can go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups and get the report for free as well as a hundy $100 from Tom, there is reporting out today from
0: the uh, New York Times that the US Labor Department has announced a new proposal that would change the classification test for gig workers. So you may recall that under the Trump administration, uh, the Labor Department created tests (laughs) for how to classify gig workers. um, And that is whether they are contractors or full time employees. Yeah. And currently, the the test is under that those Trump Trump era Labor Department rules, that there are two main factors to be considered when you're determining if a worker is an employer or contractor one, the degree of control a company has over the worker. Mm -hmm. And two, the extent to which a worker can increase their income by taking entrepreneurial initiative, like marketing Mm -hmm. their services. So this was like, pretty broad. It was considered pretty broad, right? It suggested that, for example, gig workers like Uber drivers would likely be considered independent contractors. And, uh, you know, people representing gig workers thought that it was too broad because it allowed companies to classify all kinds of workers as Mm -hmm. gig workers when they should have been employees. So now Biden's Labor Department approach, which I believe is not yet confirmed, but that they're thinking about is would argue that more factors have to be weighed. When you try to figure out uh, a worker classification and among the additional factors are whether the work being performed is central to a company's business. Mm -hmm. So this would 100% reopen the Uber question in terms of drivers, for example. And then what kinds of investments workers make to do their jobs, such as buying their own equipment.
1: Right. This used to be very easy. Um, we had a 20 point test the IRS used to do. And we would just run through this test back in the day if they're freelance or full time, you can look yep. up 20 point test. It's 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 deprecated now. But the 20 point test, I'll just give you a couple of them. Uh, instructions. Does the worker need to comply with employee instructions on how where and when to work? Um, you know, where uh, and when to work for gig economy workers we will expand it beyond Uber, which I'm still a shareholder in, but just for any of that gig work. Mm -hmm. And if you included freelance writers, where and when they work, nobody cares, right? Who cares how you It depends, right? I mean, well, it depends on who's hiring,
0: like, the the thing is that this question of contract work expanded to all kinds of things. So people would be hiring contractor engineers. Yeah, who would they who they would effectively classify as gig workers, but say you have to come into the office
1: and write code for us every day. Yeah. And so that would break the rule of where and when. Right. So, once you put a shift on it and a location, you've broken the number one and the 20 factor test. So, this is where Microsoft used to put people on contract. And they had a thing where, like, the duration of it, like three months or six months, and then you would cancel the person was a contractor. And then you had to rehire them and do a process again. So, this was all open to interpretation. Uh, training does the worker receive periodic or ongoing training performing the services rendered? Well, No, of course not. Like a you know, if you're a freelance writer, if you're a hair uh, stylist, uh, barber, uh, if you are a real estate broker, there are a number of categories like this where people could provide services. Integration in business operations: Does the services rendered by the worker a core business activity? This is one of those tests that they're still struggling with. Does the business Mm -hmm. business's success heavily rely on the worker's performance? Well, of course it does. And this is like a very general one, so you could fail this one but pass the other ones and still. Be considered a freelancer. And, and you can, you know, set hours for work was the big one, right? Is it mm-hmm. mandatory for them to work at a certain time? Is full time work required? And, you know, what we see is when you have a Republican uh, in office, people are very much in favor of freelance and people having agency and being able to choose. When you have old school Democrats in, like uh, Biden, who are very pro union, they're kind of living in the 1950s, you know, where they expect. And this is the problem I have with this is they are dictating to people how they work and where they work. Can you know who I think suffers the most from this? I think women suffer the most from this. Okay. This is living, I will tell you my position, you can fight it. I believe that this is incredibly anti uh, stay at home parent, which uh, statistically, uh, more often than not, uh, is a female. This is a lot of women who come back to the workplace do it through freelancing. And that's why when you look at real estate agents, this was a, a primarily female, uh, at least in California, um, way to get back into the workforce, or if you had kids and you were the stay at home parent, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but the statistics are the statistics. That was a job that many women uh, would take to get back into the career freelance writing, another one and increasingly with gig economy, you're seeing that I think that people should be able to make their own decision. And uh, companies should treat these employees really well. And if you look at what Uber did, Uber picked a third way to do this, they started giving people a contribution, if they worked more than 15 hours a week, this seems perfectly reasonable to me, there needs to be a place between being a pure freelancer, which is your right as an American to be a freelancer, or being full time. And the issue here is benefits. And the other issue for certain people is can we increase the number of people in a union, because they get put in office by unions. There's the end of my rant. Go ahead, Molly. You can you may have strong feelings otherwise. Um take down what I got wrong. If or what you disagree with.
0: I'm gonna try to
1: <laughs> go for it. I was go so for it. <laughs> permission much granted, go in there. Go for point by point. I, okay, I well, I've been on this issue as a yep, hire no, of I freelancers. Know. You can't hire freelance writers
0: in California anymore. Because I'm of aware this insanity, that you can't hire freelance writers anymore. Because of this is insanity. I think that in Wait, order you said you to don't care, or you do care. No, I am aware. I oh, am aware. aware. I would that I is true. Care. So, yeah. uh, so there's okay. So there's the one issue of policy. Yeah. On the one hand, uh, there was a rise in gig work. Yep. Some people like the freedom and agency that they get from gig work. However, many many companies abused the gig worker status. True. Underpaid people, hired contractors and gig workers instead of employees. And therefore, because this is what we do in the area of policy and politics, we overcorrected to solve for those abuses, which were real. Hmm. Unfortunately, the way that we have overcorrected is to try to reimplement the way that work has always been done. Hmm. So nine to five, 40 hours a week doesn't work for stay-at-home moms or all kinds of people who want some sort of work flexibility and maybe a a scenario that would allow dads to like be more involved parents because they would Mm. have more work flexibility. What we do need Mm. is it is disappointing to me that we keep coming up with policy that doesn't address this kind of third way, that if there were pooled benefits, if we were able to solve the question of healthcare, you could give people a more flexible work environment Mm. in which to operate that is not either one or the other, right? Gig work, you are at the mercy of whatever happens to you in life for the most part versus you will do—you ex- will show up and be exactly where your boss tells you all the time with absolutely no flexibility whatsoever. I really, really want there to be a compromise position and I would have loved to see the Labor Department take some steps in that direction. I do think that asking these fundamental questions, do you have to buy your own equipment to do this? And then asking this question, is the work per- being performed central to a company's business? Those are, those sound like common sense questions in, de- well, in no, terms of determining. Question. Okay, hold on. You said okay, I could okay, go okay, do okay. my rent. Okay. okay. However, However, I will not accept the framing that somehow this is like about Republicans wanting more freedom this the reason that we are having this debate the reason that uber did institute some you will have to give back some you know you can you can contribute if you drive 15 hours mm. is because many 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 companies abused and misclassified their workers as gig workers were that self-huge. is not yeah. so this idea that like then democrats come in and it's just like a union thing is like no that's mm, look, yeah. are they defaulting to old thinking with yes. respect to employment. Sure, of course. Yeah, but I'm not gonna sit here and say that workers have not been wholesale class. Of, and look, the media or gonna true. media was terrible about this terrible. Yeah. Like public media How in so? particular was excoriated because we constantly hired contractors instead of full time employees constantly
1: what you're saying it was hypocritical. You would have somebody like NPR or New York Times hiring freelancers constantly yes, constantly pay, not having because they not didn't giving them want to have to pay benefits. And then they would be riding the gig work economy while they were on the other side of their mouths, hiring freelance editors, engineers, fact checkers, etc. I'm saying every industry
0: was doing this. Yes. And that is why now we can't even really have a reasoned conversation about it because it like was it started with an over it started with abuse. It ended with overcorrection. Yep. We need to get somewhere in the middle. And frankly, universal freaking health care would solve almost all of this. Like it would solve 85 freaking percent
1: of this. 100% Yeah, just I, I, I do like your framing of this. I think it's very intellectually honest. There was abuse, there was hypocrisy, and there it became political politicized. Alright, everybody, listen, life insurance is so so important. And getting it will create amazing peace of mind for you and uh, your loved ones, your co workers, your investors, and when you're a founder, or a startup employee, peace of mind, it's hard to come by, right? We've got a lot of anxiety, a lot of things we got to get done. So I want you to check out Policy Genius. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry, which, if you've ever gone through this, which I have, it is not modern. It's an insurance marketplace that makes it easy to compare quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential in just a few clicks. And this will help you easily find the lowest price and the best policy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $17 per month. $500,000 in coverage. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week. And this helps avoid unnecessary medical exams. And these agents work for you, not the insurance companies. Plus, Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees and they won't sell your data to third parties. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. So head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. I think if you just think from first principles, when does a person deserve to be a full-time employee? What would be a benchmark that is reasonable? Because saying that they contribute to the business well, that's anybody who's working for a business or contributing to the business. You can that's a very hard argument to make. Like you're outside account that you're outside, outside lawyers, they're
0: saying central. Central okay, to so, a company's business. For right. example, drivers yeah. for Uber and
1: Lyft. Right. And so and real estate brokers and hairdressers. So that when you say central, that means all freelancers are basically cut out. Because you any know, engineer a at a hairdresser NPR is not f- central to a salon. It I is mean not. like an individual. It's the exact same
0: thing. Hairdressing is central to a salon. Yes, the, but so and therefore individual the hair is. but the salon like if you've got one person, you're a salon. Yes. And if you have one driver, you're,
1: you know, a DoorDash. The the point is, it, if you have no drivers, you're not Uber, DoorDash or Lyft. And if you have no hairdressers, you're not a salon. No, you, it's could, the the same have you. you could be cutting hair. Yes. And then so every hairdresser has to then start their own entity. And that's not what hairdressers want to do. hairdressers want to pick their hours. They want to work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they want to have their book of business, they want to have their equipment. They do not want the equipment given to them. And they don't want to come on a shift. They want to Well, and then those are
0: industries that have been those are industries that now had a model that worked fine for everybody sort of right? I mean, hairdressers will be like I pay 70% of my profits to this for the seed, and that could be abusive on its own. But what it's just a question of scale. It's like once the abuses get to a certain scale, then you got to overcorrect at the same scale. And unfortunately, we haven't yet seen, I don't think a really forward looking purple. Well, I mean, it's only the one it's universal healthcare.
1: Uh, The the really the industry policed itself. I talk about this on the podcast all the time. If you want to, you know, have great success you should have great responsibility. And you should try to do more than what the law is asking of you, right? The problem is, the law is so politicized with one side wanting no regulation. And that could be because of abuses or just being free market monsters or just believing wholly in the free market. Like there's some people who don't believe in a, a minimum wage, they believe the market should set it. And then on the other side, people who just want the union roles to grow because the unions vote in unison. So putting those two things aside, Mm-hmm. It's a pretty simple test What's the here third way. It's very yeah. simple. You, you just look at the number of hours a person works. And if they are forced to come to a location and work on a shift, that that's what defines an employee. And when you control their time, when you control how they do their job, uh, and they work over a certain number of hours, that's a full time employee. And it's somewhere around 30 hours a week, commonsensical. And do they have other jobs that they can work? In other words, can you demand they work for you today? You know, Uber uh, and Lyft and DoorDash. We've all seen it. People will have two phones so they can keep both apps up on the same time. They'll have an Android phone with Lyft or whatever. They can leave at any time and work for a different service. And most of them will take calls from multiple services depending on uh, the spiff uh, that they give them. The real problem here, Molly, which people don't understand, um, is very nuanced you have to pick one, you're not allowed to have two different modalities, or else you break the law, you have to treat all employees the same. What employees should do is every three months, they should elect, I want to be full time, and I commit to this set, I will wear the Uber logo on a polo, I will pick a shift from the open shifts, and I'll get benefits and the LaCru and I'll get time off, yada, yada. Or they say, I'm not wearing an Uber or you know, DoorDash hat and looking like a dork and I'm not putting a DoorDash logo on the side of my car. And like, you know, with a metallic thing like Domino's people have to do. No way am I doing that. I don't want that. I just want to go out do three rides before my kids get home from school so that I can pay for it, whether you're the mom, dad or both. Uh, that is the easy solution. But you're not allowed to implement that solution. You're not allowed to let could cons- you're not allowed to let individuals have agency. That's the screwed up part. That's what I object to. I object to individuals not being able to make their own decisions, not be entrepreneurial. And you know who they do this to? They do it to the people who are up and coming. They carved out lawyers, they carved out real estate brokers. So if you're rich, or you're in the I want to be super clear,
0: you're specifically talking about AB five, right?
1: California. Okay. Well, and then in general, when these laws are enacted, a group of people who have lobbies and money, which tend to be the real estate brokers, the lawyers, etc. They say, Yeah, we can't be part of that. And whoever's doing it says, Okay, yeah, sure. We'll let you out of that. And then who do they force to do it? They forced to do the entry level jobs, because those people don't have representation. And they're like, No, you have to join you as a driver uh, are not smart enough, don't have enough agency, you don't get to choose you know what they do have the intelligence to choose. And there is a free market and they should be able to choose. I mean, I
0: Guess that the counter argument is that those are also the workers that need the most protection because they have the least power, make the least amount of money and cannot organize into a lobbying and don't necessarily have the same earning potential as the lawyers and the real estate agents. I'm just saying if no, that you is look the counter, at a law like the, that is designed yeah. to protect, it might be the least yeah. powerful among us.
1: I, and I think that they don't need protection, is the point. I think they can leave Uber and go to Lyft. They can leave Lyft and go to DoorDash. They can leave DoorDash and go to Starbucks. They can leave Starbucks and go to Target. We have six. If this was a situation where we had no jobs available, we still have 10 million job openings. We have 62% labor participation. But we it peaked at 70. That was not the case when these laws were it conceived. Was. It was. Not when AB5 was conceived. Oh, yes, it was we were at 61 62% labor participation. This has been the big issue is people don't want to work full time work, Molly, they don't want that job. And that's why that's people true. won't participate. People don't yeah. want to go to 40 hours. who wants to go drag their ass to Target and work an eight hour shift and get there at 6am have to put their makeup and take a shower and put on a dorky Target, be a Walmart reader. It's a, it's it's oppressive when compared to doing three door dash rides in the afternoon. This is why we don't have labor participation, because we're not giving people enough choice. Uh, Maybe I'm crazy. I just feel like people should make their own decisions in life. I mean,
0: I hear you. I just also think that like, if you made a living wage at Target, and you got health insurance, You'd be fine with it, right? Like, why is it a terrible, awful, horrible grind? Because you get paid nothing and you could get let go anytime and you don't have health insurance. Like, there's, you know, there's this sort of alternative idea or question about why people don't want to work. It's yeah. either they're lazy or they don't get paid enough and
1: they don't get enough protection to make it worthwhile. There's actually multiple things going on in this regard. You have rich kids who have rich parents and this is big wealth transfer, that's going to happen and they're being subsidized. The second one is people have enough ways to make money as freelancers, that they refuse to take the oppressive jobs and they would rather make less money or have less benefits, but have more flexibility. And that's a choice humans can make, you know, like, I, do you want to work five, 10 hour shifts at Target? Or would you rather work 30 hours going across the different, you know, gig works? And people have chosen, you know, people are making their own choices choices in real time. They're making um, their own choices but they're still in a situation where if something
0: bad happens to them they die because they don't have health insurance yeah, like you're which still is, choosing you're still you're, uh, you You have Google agency puts, but here. you're not necessarily choosing like between
1: two awesome opportunities and this is where looking at what uber i just did, want
0: that third way i just want that one thing solved like th- third just don't raise the solution it's the solution
1: one fact that you need to know about startups. Finding engineers is super time consuming and super expensive. It's the biggest pain in the neck in startups. I would say raising money is easier than finding great developers. Well, if you're looking for qualified international developers without the crazy time differences, or if you just wanna scale without sacrificing on quality, well, Ravelo is the answer. Ravelo is a talent platform that matches you and your startup with vetted full-time remote developers in Latin America. They work in the same time zone as you in the United States. Plus, it's more cost-effective than hiring in the U.S., obviously. And you'll get matched with vetted candidates within three days. This lets you hire internationally so quickly and so easily. Revelo's engineers are, of course, full-time, and they're embedded in your team. Just like normal employees, they're proficient in all the... Things that you probably have in your stack, whether it's AWS, Rust, Ruby React, Python, Node.js, and more. Revelo's customers, wait for it. GitHub, Foursquare, Carta, Indiegogo, Kickstarter. I mean, this is a who's who of successful companies. So go to revelo.com twist and mention twist to get 20% off your first three months. Plus they offer a 100% risk free 14 day trial period. If you're not satisfied, you pay nothing. So head to r-e-v-e-l-o.com Slash Twist and mention Twist to get that twenty percent off. And then, if you look at this Uber thing, you know this is came out a while back. Uh, but you know Uber specifically, you know I know this because I was, you know, obviously discussing this with the founders and, and the team. They have guaranteed minimum earnings. They have injury protection. They they basically got ahead of this and they did a healthcare stipend. They weren't forced to do this stuff. They they did this proactively. They were going to the government. They were going. To specifically the Democrats on that side and saying, "Here, how about this?" and they said, "Nope, the only thing we'll accept is a union, uh, and to be treated and have shifts." That was the only way is the a Democrats union? would do this, or is Democrats em- and union? Em- that was the only way they w- they refused to do any other way. I know this up front. I think this is a leak in the Democrats' game. They are a actually working union? against
0: that. I have never heard. I've heard that the Democrats were like, "No, it has to be full employment," and it was yep. this really, and it was very irritating. And it has to be union, yeah. Uh,
1: that was their position uh, okay. and I, I watched it up close and personal uh, especially in California they were absolutely rigid uh, and this is why the Democrats I think are losing this contingent of individuals. Those people don't want to be part of a union and they want to make their own decisions in life and this patriarchal pr- was a parochial is what's the better word for parochial. like making this parochial this parochial, like, uh, I'm going to make the decision for you, uh, I think is why some of those people are going to the Republican Party and secretly like Trump. And like, it's just really bad. You you should give people choice. Don't force people to be in a union. Don't force people to work 12 hour shifts. They want to work four hours and go see their kids. Let people have choice. I mean, this is I mean, a I
0: 100% agree. I think there is some perception that I don't agree with you when I say over and over and over and over. And yes, yeah. I'm talking to you notice. I want there to be a third way for employees. Yes. Like, I want them to have choice, and I want them to have protection. And I do not think that anything about that is some sort of radical leftist opinion.
1: I think, like, what's for God's sake. People see you as being default democratic when you're actually, really, well, I think you are my perception of you and how you're perceived, is that you are an independent critical thinker, who has strong feelings about employees having protections. And you're looking at the history of them being abused, and saying, if there's abuse, well, that's the price you pay is that you're going to get regulated, if you get ahead of it. hmm. I think like, I I can most accurately be described as a populist populist. Okay.
0: Yeah, like before populist became a dirty word. (laughs) I'm just a populist. I'm for the people. Like, yeah, yes, so you should have choice and flexibility the, and no, you should not be forced to like die in a gutter if you get hurt because you don't have any health care. Like, this is not a hard, this you is not a hard the, place I, to land.
1: Well, I mean, then see, see this is the argument the challenge, the challenging part of being a populist, I think, is our unions in their current execution in 2022. What does populism helping, have to
0: do with unions?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Is it, it doesn't to me? It doesn't necessarily. But when looking at unions, do people who are do people who are being forced to go into unions want to be in unions or not? And is it a populist view? Which is the more populist view: let people have agency and make decisions or force them to be in a union. And I think this is one of the defining issues of our time is are these unions actually helping or hurting the people who are in them? And and are they acting in their interest, the unions interest? And the politicians who benefit from these unions? Or are they acting in the individual's interest? And I think it's, it's a case by case basis. Yeah, I mean, this is where I would say I would just reframe the question, is the
0: rise in interest in unions, and is the kind of op- equal and opposite reaction of the Democratic Party to say everybody needs to be in a union? Yeah. Is that the equal and opposite reaction to worker abuse? It doesn't mean that unions, I am sitting here saying, again, over and over and over, I don't <laughs> think unions are the better answer. They're not. Oh, you, but oh the I never reason, heard you say that. Uh-huh. No, I'm, that's what I keep saying by third way. Third Got it. Okay. way.
1: Okay. Right. Not so this You're open to the this. idea that the unions are not acting in the best interest of their employees, at, of their members at all times. I
0: don't understand how I became, in any way, some sort of a, <laughs> a, a mouthpiece for unions. Like... I want there to be a third way there needs to be a, re- a third way. The reason that everybody is pushing toward things like unions mm. is in reaction to worker abuses, and they can't come up with a better solution. But well, they I need can tell one. you,
1: I can tell you, and universal care, that as I said,
0: pretty I can clearly, tell you would solve that's 80% not of those.
1: because I watched as Uber and all these folks offered the third way, and the Democrats and the unions held the line and said, No,
0: that's totally true. I'm not saying it's not an overreaction. That's what I just said. It's an overreaction. It is an overcorrection. Yeah, that's what we do. I'm disappointed that the administration didn't come out and offer a third way.
1: Okay, there we go. Uh, And so what this means for you, if you're an um, if you're going to do gig workers Mm -hmm. is uh, you better limit, you better look at these tests and just anticipate uh, the, the, the this is the takeaway for startups. Yeah, make sure that the people who are freelancers for you feel so good about being a freelancer that they will fight for you and with you against these things, which is what ultimately happened with the drivers and the delivery people. They actually were like, please don't screw this up. Please don't make me work shift work. Please don't make me put a uniform on. Please don't tell me what hours to work. And that's why Uber won over and Lyft and DoorDash Mm -hmm. every that whole group won. Because they were so good to the drivers and I know people have this perception though, the drivers hate these services, they do not. They may want to get paid more money, of course, they may want more rides, of course, but they are voting with their time and their support of being freelancers and their actual behavior. The, the, The average person. I don't know the statistics today, but back in the day, Molly, the average person would who worked like 15 or 20 hours this week would work five or 10 the next week the, the variability of like it was like 70% of people would switch by 50% the number of hours they work per week. It was really crazy. And it, it turned out people use this to pay acute bills in their life, or they had more free time, because of school or kids or whatever. And they the variability was bonkers, people would disappear from the network for 10 days then they would work 10 days in a row, they would do a you know, three hours a day for you know, every other day, and then they would do 10 hours a day for three days, it was really weird. Um, And it turned out they were trying to game the system. (laughs) Eventually, what happened was the equilibrium of where demand was, the drivers as a group collectively started gaming the algorithms, they'd say, I'm not going to work these hours, I'm going to wait till Friday and Saturday night, I'm going to get those, you know, those premium rides that are, you know, where I'm only going to do airport rides, they actually became very entrepreneurial in how they approached using it. Uh, but what a mess. <laughs> what a mess.
0: It's a mess. It's gonna stay a mess. This is we should be clear, these uh, labor department uh, guidelines have not officially come out. It's intended the the proposal as an interpretive rule that does mm-hmm. not have the legal force of a regulation specifically authorized by Congress. So it would be different from the existing IRS rules. The labor department guidelines. What they often become, though, the the thing that people hire to uh, because the you don't states. want to have to be the person who like explains to a judge why you didn't.
1: And the states tend to follow these. The states they use tend them to as a, these. A, yeah, a guideline, so they do have major influence. Anyway, yeah, um, treat employees well and give people choice. I think is the the basic interpretation. Well, and yeah.
0: I think to certainly cleaning up, cleaning up the criteria, setting aside unions and all of that other noise. Cleaning up the criteria will prevent abuse that will hopefully lessen the kind of extreme responses to the topic. Just make it clear. Just make it clear when you're an employee and when you're not. And then anybody who skirts it is in trouble. You know,
1: the the area where you get into trouble with this was there was a company called TaskRabbit. I don't know if it still exists, but TaskRabbit was particularly... Did they really? All right, because one of the the major thing for TaskRabbits was put together IKEA furniture. Now here was the Mm -hmm. problem. People would say, hey, I want you to come do this task. And then they would auction it off. Okay, sounds fair. I want you to build these three IKEA things for me. Great, I'll do it for 50 bucks. Molly says, I'll do it for 40. Somebody else says, I'll do it for 35. They really need the work. Mm -hmm. They show up takes four hours. Okay, now they're getting paid nine bucks an hour, uh, or something in that range. And the minimum wage, In San Francisco, is fifteen. Federal minimum wage might be eight. Then the person complains about it, and you know, and you have this back and forth. And this is what happens with um, a lot of uh, what are they called? Uh, You know, like uh, handymen, But there's a non-sexist word for handyman: handy people. I don't know. Anyway, uh, people who do projects, project-based, you know, whatever. They give you a price based on the project. And if sometimes the project takes longer, and it's their fault, sometimes it takes shorter, and it's they get the benefit and you feel like you're overpaid, whatever. But TaskRabbit made this into such an efficient system. And there were so many people looking for work in these tasks that too often people were under minimum wage. That was the main issue. So TaskRabbit is a bad guy here. I, I think it was a really great idea to have a reverse auction so that consumers could get the best price and you have price discovery. The problem was, they never had the foresight to say, with a minimum of $15 an hour. So this cannot go below If They just put that in the terms of service. You know, you can, people can battle it out for how much they'll pay to do this. Boom. the other one was, um, by the way, Amazon uh, Turk, remember that one mechanical Turk?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So mechanical Turk would put in like, hey, tag this photo and tell us three things in the photo, Oh, that's an orange and a a flower and a vase. Mm -hmm. Should you be able to have that be the lowest possible price globally? Or do you need to have a minimum wage there? Because if you did one of these every if you made, if you said, I'll do it for 5 cents, and you did, I don't know, three an hour, 15 cents. Yeah, you might get to like seven bucks an hour or something. Yeah, maybe, you know, if you're in California, you you now broke a labor laws, should you be able to put that kind of task on the web on a global basis? I don't know how you feel about that. If people are opting into it, should they be able to do that? I think I think what I said, I think there were lots
0: of abuses over here, lots of overcorrection over here. I think we're yeah. still trying to figure this out. This is a pretty nascent tsunami in the in the labor world. But yeah. it's not a conversation that's going away, obviously.
1: Yeah, Th- that's the one that I try I struggle with is mechanical Turk, because it's like anonymous work that people are doing while they're at work <laughs> in a lot of cases. All right. Uh,
0: that's, because- that's what it really comes down to. J. Cal just can't stand it. He's like, you <laughs> anyway,
1: okay, let's no, do the start I'm of fine with it. I mean, it, it, it seems to me like if you were the security guard, and well, I guess you were supposed to be looking at stuff. Anyway, I just the free market person in me believes like, yeah, the people It would be kind of cool if people in you know, I don't know. Alabama and people in Manila were both, you know, able to do Mechanical Turk uh, at home. But do the people in Alabama deserve to get paid more than people in Manila? I don't know. It's it's a very hard. When you get to globalization, it gets pretty hard. Yes, that's true. And that is a conversation we do not have time
0: for because we can do that all day. <laughs> startup of the day. Yes. Let's just talk about this adorable, freaking startup, Bear Robotics. This is so first of all, cutest name ever. Bravo Bear Robotics, which makes these adorable little self-driving robots that run food yeah. in restaurants, which is also this is also a labor story. But exactly here we go. Back in March, uh I'm telling you, labor is everything. Back yeah. in March, Bear Robotics raised an $81 million Series B at a $481 million valuation led by the private equity firm IMM. Hmm. Back in 2020, you had Dishcraft Robotics CEO Linda Pugliat on the podcast to talk about dishwashing robots. Yes. This is like all of a piece. In 2021, mm-hmm. Miso Robotics CEO Mike Bell came on to talk about burger flipping robots. Yes. And then uh, now, as we know, restaurants are having a hard time hiring dishwashers and busers for the low hourly rates. So, can it all be done by adorable little robots? This is the, if you're watching us, by the way, you're seeing the flippy. Which is the the burger flipping robot? Yeah, didn't it's really coming. Work. Robots have taken mm-hmm. a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the question, right? It is like robots are expensive to produce. They have to get it right every time in a restaurant environment or anywhere, especially actually even more the in a mission manufacturing matters environment. Is what
1: I learned. So the mission matters. So the complexity of the mission, mm-hmm. is, you know, and then time is what matters. So, you know, obviously we're big investors in Cafe X you know, making somebody a a drink, it literally cafe x arm takes a cup of different sizes, fills it with ice, then pours an espresso over the ice or pours some milk in there, gets the espresso on top of it, then does foam from another machine. So you can do any combination of those things. You could pull the tap molly and get green tea, then you could do a little foam on top of it after getting the ice, and then you can get some cookies. So the reason we invested in that is because when I looked at the dishwasher, when I looked at the pizza, zoom, the burger. There was a full burger place It was flippy. I also looked at tea, smoothies and ramen. I looked at all of these five, six years ago. There were only two that did the whole mission, the dishwashing robot, because they used their specific plates, they narrowed the mission. It was mm-hmm. only for cafeterias, you had to use their plates. Yeah. So when their plates came across the conveyor belt, the robotic arm had a magnet. Don't and that knew the size of it, boom, We put it in. It wasn't China. It wasn't a wine glass combined with a glass combined with a, you know, you get the idea. Yep. Conveyor, a conveyor
0: belt system. Yep. yep. Yeah. And it, it was mandate. pretty straightforward.
1: Now, we look at this mandate. one, Bear Robotics. What's the mission? The mission is take plates around, right? It Carry seems like over yeah, here. They look like, just for people who are watching, um, R2-D2, and they have sometimes multiple platforms on them. So imagine R2D2, but with three shelves on it. Now when you're in the kitchen, this is what I believe happens. You know, the four of us go to lunch, there's two burritos, uh, there's a chimichanga, which I think is a deep fried burrito, kind of like that one. And then somebody gets the fajitas. Perfect. Boom. Okay, that's got to get from the kitchen to table number two. It's a booth. They put those on there, it goes to the table. Now what I'm unsure of. Is does the server take them off there or just the customer? But in I, the in video, the v- it looks like the
0: customer is just like grabbing it. Although there is also some video where the server can do it.
1: So apparently, it does both. Yeah, you can do either, and you could so and you can really tailor
0: it cool. probably to your specific restaurant, right? Like, do you want yes just to bring it to the server and the server does it, or mm-hmm. and then you could put the dirty dishes. This is a this would actually save a lot of server time and let servers be much more interactive, because then yes. you could put the dirty dishes. I mean, it's literally just like the running, it's the busing, and the it's bringing too, it out and the yep. taking it back. And you have this ring fenced mm-hmm. kind of environment where the robots are like, I can only go to table three, six, nine, 10, 15, you know, Limited mission this is You've narrowed the mission.
1: What I like is the busing is a really good one too. Because you imagine the bus I used to be called the bus boy, what do you call them? Bussers? Bussers. Busser. Okay, the buser comes you remember, uh, sometimes you go to a restaurant like a TGI Fridays, and they bring the bucket with them. And you're like, eh, but you know, usually you have to leave and they bring the big bucket and they put everything in it and then they bring it to the kitchen. Well, here the robot comes next to them, they fill the robot. And the robot leaves. That's kind of cool. When you think about it. they don't have to carry it back to the kitchen, right? And this is for running. So what a lot of I don't know if you're seeing this experience. But because of uh, the lack of servers running is becoming a thing now where you mm-hmm. order at your table, and then your food just comes with a runner. Now, yep. if you had an ordering system like toast this is the one I use, I see come up most often. Uh, you order from toast on on your phone, and then this would come and you take your plates off. There's never an error. This eliminates the error of like, hey, yeah. here's your food. And then you start eating. You're like, like, I, Wait I didn't, a second, order I didn't know I didn't know what a jalapeno poppers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that was other tables. Keep it. So this is going to reduce a lot of errors. I love this idea. I it's, don't a great know that idea. it's a great investment, but mm-hmm. it's a great idea.
0: Yeah, it's it's obviously a lot of technology and hardware and sales and deployment. And Mm -hmm. you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have the labor disruption question, but I do love it. And it is the future without a doubt.
1: Are you concerned about the food being open and coming to you on an open robot? It'd be coming to me in someone's open hand. I guess that's right as an alternative. Yeah, they are doing room service. By the way, I've seen I've seen room service robots for this. That makes the most sense to me. Imagine you're in a hotel, and I slide in in a closed thing you know, your eggs benedict, you know, some so waffles, whatever you get in there. And then it's outside your door. And it rings your bell automatically because it's you know, why not? And yeah. it's like it's outside the door and then you open it, the things open, you take your food, boom, easy, peasy. I desperately want that because room
0: service is one of the most awkward human interactions of all and oh. like they're like can I come in and you're like in your bathrobe because that's because I always get breakfast that's my one room service thing yeah, so I have a whole your system yeah, you're in your bathrobe and they're like can I come in yeah and then you'd the like you know mass. that they're like the tip's already been written into there but then that's they're the standing there and like it's just I just want that to be a robot and then you got to figure out how to like get the tray outside and hold the door open and not
1: have yes. the door close
0: on you while you're trying to like get it's so awkward. that please bring me the robot. For
1: but that. nobody okay. wants these jobs. These jobs suck in America. They suck everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it, some jobs just suck. And you know what, like, I, if I could go to a Michelin star restaurant, mm-hmm. and not have to deal with the server, and just order for my phone, I would prefer it. I know that's sacrilege to people. I'd love ordering on my phone, especially when you have kids and they want more like spazzo, oh, or they want an extra order of deviled eggs, and I can just bang order it, I don't have to find a server. Yeah, Man, when you have when you have two six year old raptors, like I do, that's I mean, what I they're... want
0: at every other restaurant. And then at a Michelin star restaurant, I want like the best nicest person who knows everything about the food and they tell you exactly how to mm. eat it like this thing. It's molecular gastronomy. So it looks like a leaf. So it's actually food and you can eat that and you know, like, give me the like, give me the then make it a VIP server experience. Mm. And they don't have to worry about taking plates back and forth because a robots doing that then it's perfect.
1: Yeah, Nick's perfect. pointing out that this one doesn't eliminate the server. It could. It, I think what these robotic companies do—they're very concerned about the eliminating jobs angle. Yes. Because every time the press calls them, and I saw this with Cafe X, it's like, "Oh, so you're eliminating jobs?" Eliminating jobs. Uh, yeah. and it's like, okay. I think everybody realizes right now, like that ship has sailed. Nobody wants to go into fields and pick strawberries. Let robots do it. Just like we we used to have humans like pulling wheat out of the ground. <laughs> like that used to be done with a sickle, right? Like. Mm-hmm. This was backbreaking labor, mm-hmm. like just everybody knows. Okay, everybody knows robots. <laughs> fantastic, Moralaga are robots. All right, let's move
0: on to the next. Just thing. in case you wanted to drive home your but no,
1: the point point is, of view today. <laughs> the point the point here is exactly. I don't know why. The point here is no you're being so baby. <laughs> I'm not trying to be. I just behind I the scenes. By it. the way,
0: j Cow called me a Karen before we even started rolling today. <laughs> I didn't. I said you're like a zero zero dark this? Like, thirty haircut. It's like a setup. It's like you set no, me up to I fail today. He was like, yes, yeah, no, super I Karen. Didn't.
1: Your haircut boom, before we you even started. Like your zero dark thirty. You look like the a hell? CIA agent. You. He's it, like, uh, who's the uh, mentally ill woman on? Uh, who's the union guy? Homeland. He's out
0: here like he's out here like Molly's Jimi- the, Jimmy Hoffa.
1: Who's the mentally ill woman on? Uh. Oh, no, I Homeland. don't know. I didn't watch it. But I love You didn't watch Homeland? Oh, the woman's got schizophrenia and she's the greatest CIA agent of all time. It's oh, amazing. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And oh, my haircut
0: does look like hers. Yeah. Claire Danes. It looks exactly
1: like her. I'm not saying you got suffering from schizophrenia or
0: I'm, anything. So but that I'm, was the best part of the I'm character. I'm a schizophrenic Karen who just wants everybody to be
1: in a union. That's my role no, here today, apparently. No, not, Don't do that. No, you Tuesday. look like Zero Dark Thirty. Who is the woman from Zero <laughs> Dark Thirty? That movie was incredible. That one um, who killed Osama bin Laden. Yeah, that's the vibe I'm Who's getting with the black turtleneck or
0: whatever the black sweater and the perfect yep, haircut. Yep. Yeah, that's it. All Maybe right, I do see. feel a little murdery today. All right. Anyway, let's do one Chose quick bodies. M&A before we got to get out of here Instant startup. Uh, yeah, there's huh. like a uh, consolidation happening. This is one of those good simultaneously. Yeah, the, exactly. This is a like bouncing along the bottom like you've been saying. Yeah, combined with exits of a type. Consolidation mm-hmm. is the key to like shaking out a healthy industry. It's painful, but it has to happen, and it's starting. Instant delivery startup Get Here is in advanced talks to acquire mm-hmm. its competitor Gorillas. These are both rapid delivery companies, primarily operating in uh, I think Latin America. Get Here is Latin America. Get Here is based in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Gorillas is Berlin based. I guess they must operate in those markets. Also, yeah. I would imagine Get Here last raised. This is amazing. This is Sequoia Joint. Last raised $768 million okay. at an $11.8 billion oh. valuation in March. Nice Sequoia is an investor, not the lead investor. Gorillas yeah. last raised $950 million at a $3 billion valuation in September 2021. Gorillas has previously held talks with competitors about merging or selling its business. Uh, the startups both reportedly had trouble raising from investors in 2022 because yep. they were burning cash fast for expansion.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, is not doing right now, everybody copied the Uber playbook, which was, you know, get to as many cities as possible, have a decentralized organization and move quick. That's great. When you have free money, we don't have free money anymore. Therefore, you have to hit profitability. Before you uh, fight a war on, a, you know, a 1000 fronts or dozens of fronts. You know, that's a that's a capital intensive, inefficient way to do it. And you give up the efficiency, Molly for speed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the market wants something different even for the mighty Uber and Airbnb, everybody else, they're like, show us the money, show us the profits. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the idea of like, hey, we're gonna fight a war on all fronts is over. And what this consolidation does is, it stops the wars um, where people are discounting and using VC dollars to gain market share, and they, they fight this battle, which, you know, like many wars, Uh, you know, and this is not war with people dying. So I'm not making light of it or anything. But in these battles between companies, they both lose, because they're both losing money each time. And it's not healthy. It's fine for a while. But it truly becomes unsustainable prolonged wars like this. Everybody loses. And this is a healthy part, you know, like, they can't get more money. So you consolidate, Mm -hmm. you're not discounting each other. And this should have happened with Uber and Lyft. There was a moment at time where Lyft almost went to Uber, and yep. where DoorDash almost went to Uber. And if that had, if one of those two had happened, all of these companies, the entire sector would be looked at. Well, kind of like it's being looked at now, which is okay, it's going to be profitable. But it wouldn't have had this five years of this can never be profitable. Is that and I ask this
0: sincerely, is yeah. that how people are looking at Instant sure. delivery specifically? Because I feel like there still is not a proof point for delivery being profitable. Oh, like we're, yeah, we're, I we're talking still talking
1: about food I was looking at ride sharing a food delivery, which you know now is right. proven that it can be profitable. Instant deliveries if, I think it can be so your question was do people look at it that way? No. They still have to prove it. Right. Because it has ever been so far still, right? Yeah, are we talking no about one's this delivering you know, one food point. profitably? you can deliver food profitably for sure. Um, you can do ride sharing profitably for sure. Mm-hmm. This one, I am not sure that people will pay. I don't know. I'm not sure how many missions there are, where people are willing to pay 20 or $30 on top of their $30 711 bill, or their Walgreens bill, right? Real delivery cost I put at $20 $30 per order, because that's what you wind up paying, right? If you use Postmates, Uber Eats DoorDash, it winds up being plus $20 to $30. For the consumer, that's fine on dinner. Is that fine for deodorant and soap and a gallon of milk? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. So I think this is a very narrow use case. You're in a city, you're a young urban professional, you need cigarettes and booze, deodorant, shaving cream, quarter milk, whatever it is, diapers. Uh, yeah.
0: I wonder think if that GoPuff guy would come back on. I just still think the jury is out on this whole business model
1: and it's been out since 2001, mm. you know? it it, the jury's out, I think, because nobody needs something that quickly, or the the times you do need it that quickly are are few and far between. Yeah. Uh, You know, like, I I don't know how often, even with like, Uber, I want to use Uber for delivery of like soap and, you know, other stuff, but I kind of have it on Instacart and subscribe and save the items I use most frequently. So I find I don't as somebody who's a planner, not mm-hmm. a prepper like you, but a planner. You know, like you're way ahead of the curve. I, I'm kind of like right behind you. This is for like I think millennials who are like young people who don't do any planning, right? Yeah.
0: Or it's like you want it. You all of a sudden decide you want to make something and you need the ingredients. That happens right now because my son is going through a cooking phase. Like that's. Oh, when that's kind of cool. You maybe need we'll do this. It's pretty right, exactly. We need lemons and like he decided he wanna make pecan pie the other night. So we we're like, oh, let's store dash some stuff. Ooh. Yeah. No, My it's a real fun I phase, love. by the way, and thanks to the bear. This is why it's happening. Oh, really? He watched the yeah. bear
1: and he got into cooking. Yeah, we oh, watched it together totally and now he right. wants to cook. It's the best. I just love that series. I mean, is there gonna be a second version? Of that or is that a one, one and done. I don't know. I hope there's I more. love the season two it is. is coming. Actually, oh, the guy so who's fantastic. the brother in that or the cousin the tall guy that's He's in Andor. He's in Andor. And I, I love got him. So and he was
0: in Girls. <laughs> and he's same person. I still don't know
1: his name. He played John Carreyrou in the dropout, too. Oh, <gasps> he did. That's right.
0: Oh my god.
1: Eben boss something. I love this guy. That's this guy's right. gonna wind he's up getting great. He's this guy's great gonna win year. an Oscar. Somebody's gonna put him in something good. This guy's getting some good scripts. I bet you he he gets nominated for an Oscar next two or three. He years. does this type too really
0: well. This kind of like crabby. Slightly damaged neurotic. Yeah, he's he's got a type. Yeah, it works. It works.
1: <laughs> I just <love> the fact <laughs> oh, that he's dealing wonderful. He's dealing blow out of the restaurant. I <laughs> mean, like, I'm like, oh, right back to my childhood. Literally, this is my childhood. Molly, like at my dad's bar <laughs> at a certain age. It all became revealed to me. Bookie. Coke dealer. Lone Shark. Hell's Angel. Cop. <laughs> cop who could solve problems for you. Uh-huh. Like literally bing, 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 wow. bing, bing, like, bing, oh, This whole this cast of characters up. who I knew and would like run and get cigarettes for this one guy Amazing. he would give me he'd say, Hey, kid. Come here. How'd you pop? Good. Okay. Go get me two packs of Marlboro lights. Marlboro lights were a buck 50. At the time, he gave me a 20 sometimes a 50. I would go run. He'd say run, get me two packs of 50. He'd Like to see me run. I run I get two packs of Marlboro lights. I bring him the change. 17 bucks, sometimes 47 bucks, say, keep it kid. I keep it. I love this guy. I'm not gonna say his name, rest in peace. (laughs) This guy was running, he had services that were available. And in Brooklyn, every establishment had services available that my dad wasn't running the services, but he wasn't also kicking the people out. Uh, And so as part of the keeping the peace, he would tip the proprietor, my dad's kids, who were working in the restaurant, with extraordinary tips. He was a bookie. It was, <laughs> yeah, he was got. the bookie. <laughs> I never told you the story of this one. Wow. So one time, and this is great for the show. Anyway, I go to the bathroom. I had to clean the bathrooms in this joint, so I go to the bathroom to. Yeah, you know, every couple hours I go clean the bathrooms. So go clean the bathroom. Place is a mess, whatever. I'm like 13 years old. I look on the side of the toilet, and there is a wad of cash with a rubber band around it. We call this a knot in Brooklyn. There's a knot. And you could always tell like a serious knot. Some knots have around them like a broccoli rubber band. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. knots are so big, they got a little thin rubber band around them a couple of times. Anyway, this is a big freaking knot of money. It's a couple of Gs. So I pick it up, I bring it to my dad. My dad looks at it like he's looking at like um, an oyster or something. And he like kind of does the thing with his hand where he kind of weighs it. He looks at it from like one or two angles. He goes, oh, that's Artie's. Hands it back to me. Give it to Artie. I'm like, he's not here. He's like, he'll be back. So now I'm holding $7,000 in my pocket. All of a sudden, I see Artie come through the thing. I said, oh, Artie. And he looks at me, he goes, yeah, let me have it. He knows I have it. Because he knows nobody's going to take that. Right. Because in Brooklyn, you know who's not. It's not because you see people take these knots out. You know this is Artie's knot. So I hand it to him. I kid you not. Good kid. Peels off a hundred off the top. Gives to me. It was all hundreds. There wasn't a. There wasn't Perfect. a fifty in here. He literally. This is in nineteen eighty two. He that peels off a hundy for J This is when I was like, "Whoa, money's cool." All right, that's it, everybody. This week <laughs> in Brooklyn stories from the seventies and eighties. What a show. What a show. I'm J Cow. She's zero dark thirty.
0: A lot happened today. A lot happened today. Oh, my Lord. Whew. Tomorrow, uh, we got crypto roundtable. We got another big oh, show. coming. Nothing tomorrow. controversial there. <laughs> nothing controversial there. <laughs> Any perp walks this week? <laughs> I, just read a literally. Super, I read a super fun story about how all that uh, energy savings from the ETH merge just got rolled right into Bitcoin's highest energy consumption ever. True story. Yeah, right, we'll talk about to that folks. tomorrow. We're gonna have a good time. Uh, right, and then we got time, another right? episode of The Next Unicorns, one of the most fun interviews mm. I've done in ages with Liquid Fantastic. Death CEO, Mike Cesario, good
1: time. Oh yes, Liquid Death, I wanna hear that one. All right, it's gonna be a great, great show tomorrow. So, uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.